Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.56 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 21st day of the third month of 2023, coming close to the end of the first quarter already. TikTok, man. TikTok. Almost to the end of the first quarter of 2023. Holy crap, man. This shit is blowing by. Now, uh, where am I at? Oh, I'm sorry. This is episode 687 of Bitcoin and I'm gonna start with something just a little bit different. Um, it I was thinking today and I've, I've talked about this a couple of times before about where we're at right now. And I'm not talking just in financials. I'm not talking about just Bitcoin, kind of talking about the, uh, the zeitgeist or is it gestalt? It's the, whatever the German word is that everything taken together, whatever word that is, I'm kind of, I'm kind of there right now. And one of the things that dawns on me is I was watching Jack Mallers talk with a couple of talking heads on either MSNBC or CNBC. It, honestly, at this point, it doesn't really matter, does it? Um, and I guess he was doing it yesterday or something like that. And he was just on fire, you know, and if you, you've you probably seen it because I know it was circulating around Noster and certainly it was probably on Bluebird site, but I mean, he was on fire and you know, he's in this empty closet and he's just by himself, you know, coming from remote. He's got great sound. He's got great energy. You know, baby face looking kid that's just rocking it with strike. Right. And then I'm looking at this, this massive studio with all these lights and all these big ass screens with professionally designed chirons and shit like that. And the well-dressed and makeup bedazzled talking heads sitting at a, I don't know, whatever desk probably cost $15,000 to construct being filmed on cameras that cost more than your house. I guarantee it, unless you listening to me and you're a millionaire, in which case, where's the boostograms, dude? Where's the boostograms? No, just kidding. Um, and it just dawns on me that these guys it, well, okay, before I do the dawns on me part, the guy, so it's a guy and, and a, a guy and a gal that's the talking heads. And I don't know their names because I don't care. But after, you know, he goes through, Jack Mallers goes through the, prim, the primary spiel, which is, you've heard it before, hopefully you've heard it before, about why strike, why lightning, why Bitcoin in contrast to the failing financial legacy system that we see on fire all around us and you can't unsee it. And then the guy makes the same mistake that every other talking head always makes 
and they never take correction. And he goes, what's to stop somebody from building another Bitcoin 2.0? And and that one can have more than 21 million. And of course, Jack puts him, you know, puts him kind of in his place. I wish he had done it just a bit different, but he's Jack. He can do whatever the hell he wants. But I, I, I just say that I wish that he had done it a little bit different because I don't think the guy understood. I don't think the guy, it's hard to get some... Bitcoin is such a simple concept, yet it can be so damn deep when you try to explain it. And the reason we think it's simple is that we've been in the rabbit hole for what? Years? Some of you guys over a decade? I mean, come on. It seems easy to us, but it's really hard to explain to somebody who just doesn't understand the fundamental concepts of shit like consensus rules. I run my own node. Uh, I will not, as a human being, support any other software that does not fall in line with the consensus rules. And I do that by running a particular software and I'm not alone. And there's more of me than there is, you know, there's more people like me than there is, you know, people like doing Ethereum. Nobody can actually run a node. Nobody has any idea what the consensus rules are. So at this point, it kind of, it, it, I start thinking about that this morning and I start thinking about people like Marty Bent Matt O'Dell, Guy Swan, Jack Spirico, who I'm BTC Sessions. I, I, I'm going to end up leaving some very high quality people. John Vicalis, if the, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm going to leave people out of this and you're going to be mad at me because I do that. It's just that I'm doing, this is live, baby. Fuck it, we're doing it live. So there's no possible way that I can remember all of the highest quality people that I've been exposed to in this space. And what it, it yeah, I ta- talked about this like a couple, few weeks ago is that we're building the new media system. We don't even know that we're doing it. I mean, I know that we're doing it and a couple of other people know that we're doing it, but I'm starting to see the fact that we're, we're all going in the same direction and we're all building the same thing. And this guy going back to the fundamental bullshit question that the talking head asks about what if they do Bitcoin 2.0 and he doesn't understand. And here's the catch. This is why it's so important. This is why I'm starting out with this. He doesn't think he has to get it. Why? He's surrounded by a lighting system that costs more than your house being filmed on three cameras that each cost more than your house wearing a suit that very well may cost more than your monthly salary being broadcast over satellites that I have no idea how much that shit costs, plus the launch of the satellite, the fuel. Oh my God, right? He's better than you. And so is she. So is that other talking head. She knows more than you because they are wrapped in a package that costs more than your life. Of course they think they're better than you. Of course they think they are the authority, the ethical authority, and the moral authority. And they don't even think about it functionally at a level that you're going, you know, like look at yourself in the mirror and go, my hair's out of place. They don't think about it that way. It's way deep down. It's way, way deep down. They're not, I don't even think they're fundamentally aware of where they're at right now. They just spout it 
in a way that makes me just realize that because they're surrounded by all the pomp and circumstance, they have the authority. They're the ones that are always right, even though they know absolutely nothing about what's going on. Now think about that. And you got a dude like Jack Mallers who's in an empty woman's closet <laughs> changing the world. We got all the guys that I just mentioned. And, and I'm, I'll include Nat- Natalie Brunel. I mean, people might not like that. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of hers, but I don't, I don't not like her. You know, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> right for right now, she's on our side. But I've seen, I've seen that shit go south like a duck in winter too. So, I'm just saying. I don't think the people that are wrapped up in the lights and the cameras and the satellite feeds and the chirons and the massive screens and the $15,000 desks understand what is about to happen to their livelihood and not because they're trusting the banks, because they're not seeing what's right in front of them. Nobody wants to hear their bullshit anymore. And more and more people are gravitating towards independent news sources whether it, whether it's news or information, it doesn't matter. And it's us that's doing it without a director, without a producer, without a CNBC staple suit, without the CNBC makeup artist, without the CNBC lights and desks and chirons and screens and satellites and fucking cameras. No, we're doing it. I'm doing it right now with two computer screens, a piece of audio software that I absolutely adore, the it's Fruity Loops Studio or FL Studio. It cost me $99 and it does everything that I need. And I can go source material from a thousand different places if I want to. Normally I try to stick to just a few because I kind of, you know, work well with them, even though some of them I don't always agree with, but it doesn't matter. So this this sea change that we're seeing in banking is coming to everything, to food, to how you source your information, how you handle your uh, medicine. It's all burning down. This is the greatest opportunity anybody's ever going to have to build the future that they want to see. Which leads me to a point. Well, actually, I've made my point, but it leads me to a tool. Let's call, let's, let's call it a tool. I want to just give you a few. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about another piece of software that I picked up. And this one I picked up because Guy Swan mentioned it one time on one of his podcasts. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll go look at it. The software is named Obsidian. It is a knowledge management tool. It is a computer application or a piece of software, depending on how you want to think about it. It doesn't matter. And it's free. It was built during the COVID days when a bunch of developers were like, we got, we're just at home, man. You know, we're like, we don't have to go to the office because we're not allowed. Everybody was staying at home. It was during the lockdown bullshit. And what happens when you get a whole bunch of people that have a great idea that all of a sudden have 
an inordinate amount of time on their hands, probably because they were able to do all the work for their job in 15 minutes a day and have the rest of the day to themselves because they weren't commuting to work. Right? You get shit like Obsidian. I want you to look at it. There's also another one. Uh, there's also another knowledge management tool called Trillium. Trillium, like T-R-I-L-L-U-M, I think is the way you pronounce it. It's another style of knowledge management tools, right? That one I got from Adam Curry. He mentioned it and I looked at it and that was the first one I looked at. And I'm like going, okay, it's pretty cool. I can take notes and I can, you know, kind of like, you know, file and, you know, have a nice little file system and have a great, great graphic user interface. And I'm, I'm a real visual person. I love graphics. I can't help it. I was born in the days of the up and coming video games, man. I mean, I was a kid when asteroids came out. Come on, for God's sakes. I'm always going to be visual. Now, I was using that for a little while, but there was just something that, it wasn't that it was something that turned me off. It just, I just never really gravitated. I kept meaning to go back to it and I just never did. When Guy Swan mentioned Obsidian and I went to obsidian.md, MD stands for mark down. That's, it's Markdown language, you know, that, that's just part of the way that Obsidian and Trillium and these kinds of things work. When I picked that one up, I cannot put it down because I can just like, for instance, like I keep that, uh, keep a regenerative agriculture book list, right? And I, a lot of the books I read on Kindle and some of them I don't, but a lot of them I, I do. And I can take notes in Kindle by, you know, I can highlight, you know, a passage and then I can take, you know, leave a note behind it. In Obsidian, I can go pick up a plugin that imports every single note that I've ever made on any book that I own in my Kindle library. And when it imports, it imports with the ISBN number of the book, who wrote it, all, I mean, all kinds of stuff, plus all the notes. And now... I've got this stack of notes that I've taken and I can turn each one of those into another type of note that links to another note so that inside a note, right? And this is not Nostra, this is not, you know, Nostra notes. This is just like writing something down on a note card. And then I write something down on another note card and I have these two note cards, but they're analog and I can't link them together. And I might not even know that they might be linked. But let's say I go through all these notes that I've taken in Amazon and I start saying, you know what? That reminds me of the author of this other book. And in, and I can say bracket, bracket, the name of the author of that book and end with bracket, bracket. And all of a sudden it turns into an internal link and creates a note that is titled with that author's name or whatever is in the brackets. So if there's other stuff that that guy wrote that I've got notes on, I can now start compiling there. And then all of a sudden things start just organically as you put them on paper or well, into this digital thing, you can start seeing patterns. I won't get into all of it today because I, I can't, right? I'm, I'm not going to do that. We got, we got news, right? We, we got some news. So we're going to do that. I'm just saying, if, you, if you're one of the people that has really great ideas, and you just can't bring yourself to figure out how to get it down on paper or you don't want to, or you've tried it before. And all of a sudden that notebook just kind of 
chills out in the background and isn't really doing anything. And, and next thing you know, you pick it up and it's like four years later and you're like, shit, dude, where did four years go? Go get Obsidian or go to obsidian.md. You can download the entire fully functional package for free. The only thing that it doesn't allow, you got to pay for this is syncing to like something like iCloud, but all the data is kept on your hard drive. If you want a copy of it sent to iCloud, by all means, pay $8 a month. Otherwise, the free version actually is more secure in my opinion. But be that as it may, you can still donate to the developers to keep this shit going. I've never seen anything. I've, I very rarely run across anything as useful as Obsidian. Now, go get it. And then I want you to go to Nick Milo's Linking Your Thinking YouTube channel to figure out why I'm kind of excited about this. I like Nick. I've never met him, never talked to him, but he was one of the guys that had sort of the, I don't know, the attitude as to, as to how he was going to say, here's, here's how you start using this thing. And it, it clicked with me. So he's not supporting the show. Don't, I don't have any sponsors. So that's not why I'm bringing you Nick Milo. He was just the one that I, he's the one that I keep going back to. I've seen like four or five different people do these YouTube videos on Obsidian. And somehow or another, I keep going back to Nick a little soft-spoken, a little bit ASMR-y kind of thing, if you know what I'm talking about, but he's highly effective at how to use Obsidian. I figure I would do this at the top of the show. How to to say this? How to say, ah, I wanted to bring this to you at the top of the show so that you would consider putting what's in your brain to work for everybody in the world. You've probably got a good idea. I'm at least trying to bring you a tool so that you can look at that idea. You can get it out of your fucking head. Especially if it's been with you for like three years, it'll drive you crazy if you can't get it somewhere where you can look at it objectively. Because as long as that idea is in your head, you're not objective about it you can't see other connections that you might be able to make with that idea. Use something like Obsidian that has an internal mind map that you can start conceptualizing ideas. This is another part of the, of the software. It's called Canvas, but all it is is a mind map. And if you've ever used mind mapping tools, this one is par excellence and it's still in beta. It's still in beta and it's the best mind map that I've ever freaking used. And you can use the labels of those mind maps to link back to actual text notes that you've made, right? But in in a way, like I used it to get the idea of a silvopasture-based farm out of my head into a place that I can look at it. And that map is so big, it's so large that it actually kind of scared me that I was keeping this thing inside my head like a cancer for as long as I've been keeping it in my head. And once I saw it on paper, that son of a bitch started exploding even bigger. Let's not be the guy that thinks he doesn't have to actually think anymore because he's got cameras and lights and chirons 
and screens while he's talking to the kid that's going to absolutely replace everything he believed in when it came when it comes to the financial legacy markets. The rest of the guys that I was just talking about going to eat his lunch. I doubt CNBC will be a thing in 10 years. Probably five, but I'm going to give it 10 to be conservative so I don't sound like a complete lunatic. You know, I've got more people listening to me now. I've already blown past like the amount of down or well, listens. I don't know what the difference between download and the listen is, but all I know is that I got a lot of listens and I've got more listens than, than the first three years of this podcast put together. We're not even out of the first quarter of this year. That's all, that's all on you, right? That, because you're, you're listening to other people. That's going to continue. Use this tool, obsidian.md, go get it. It's for Windows, and I don't know if they've got a Linux version, but they've got an Apple version. I think they might have a Linux version. I don't see why not. I mean, it's, a, it's simple, but it's beautiful and it's elegant. Go get it, use it. See if it works for you. And then start getting the ideas that are in your head and put them somewhere where you can look at them objectively and allow them to grow. A seed in your head without pulling it out and throwing it into a pot of soil ain't going to do dick. You see what the tree may look like, but until you actually put it into a pot of soil, i.e. being able to look at it objectively, it will never sprout. At least get it to sprout. It could die later. I know, it sucks. Nobody wants to see their ideas die. But if you start putting this shit out, then you're going to be one of the people that replaces something in the legacy system because it's all burning down. Everything's fucking lit, right? Do that. Just do that. Just look at it. Even if you go, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. I watched the first three beginning Obsidian Nick Milo videos and I still don't get it. At least you tried. That's all I'm asking for. Now, on to the news. Oh, by the way, the YouTube, the YouTube channel for Nick Milo is at linking your thinking, all one word. Again, at linking your thinking, all one word on YouTube. And you'll find them. If you don't find them that way, I don't know, Google Nick Milo and linking your thinking, you'll run across it. He also has linking.thinking or linkingyourthinking.com or something like that. And it sounds like I'm just, you know, shilling them hard. It's just, like I said, the only reason I'm shilling him that hard, he just happens to be the guy that I keep gravitating back to when it comes to Obsidian. So do with that what you will, but please do something with it. Elon Musk and Bill Ackman urged the Fed to cease hiking the interest rates. <laughs> oh my God, no. Oh no. Wee. Wee. Oh no. Anyway, so... <clears throat> What do we got here? We got a crypto potato. The author's name is Dimitar Horovov. There's no way I pronounced that correctly. I'm sorry, dude. Bill Ackman, an American billionaire investor and founder of Pershing Square Capital, thinks the U.S. Federal Reserve should temporarily halt its policy to stabilize the local banking system and prevent contagion. Tesla CEO and one of the world's richest people, Elon Musk, urged the central bank to drop the interest rates by at least 50 basis points at the FOMAC meeting this week. Now, Ackman took it to Twitter 
to explain why the Fed should temporarily abandon its interest rate hiking strategy. Yeah, I'll bet. He pointed, he pointed out that the recent banking collapses in the U.S., which affected equity and bondholders, aside from the already shut Silvergate Capital, Silicon Valley Bank, and Signature Bank, other financial institutions have also experienced significant difficulties. The San Francisco-based First Republic Bank, which saw its shares plummet by over 90% in the past month, is among the examples. Yep, certainly, oop, certainly is. Certainly is. Uh, just uh, sorry, I was just checking my phone. I thought I saw saw it flash. I, I know I shouldn't do that, but hey, if it's an emergency, I got to pick it up. Okay. Anyway, the quote: "This is not an environment into which the Federal Reserve should be raising rates and adding additional pressure on the system, as financial stability is the Fed's first responsibility." Mm, the billionaire acknowledged. The inflation rate in the United States is an existing problem that the Fed needs to solve. However, the central bank should focus on other monetary tools, such as uh, an FDIC deposit guarantee until the updated insurance regime is introduced. Now, now we go to Musk. Twitter CEO Elon Musk responded to Ackman's tweet claiming that the Federal Reserve should lower interest rates by at least 50 basis points. Numerous cryptocurrency proponents and experts believe such a decision could be highly beneficial for digital assets, including Bitcoin. A recent research conducted by BitMEX estimated that it would propel a market recovery and boost interest in the cryptocurrency industry as investors will likely seek exposure to riskier assets in, 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 such, in search of greater returns. It seems unlikely, though, that the U.S. Central Bank will pivot this week. Most market participants think that it will lift interest rates by 25 basis points, rounding the mark to 5%. 100% concur. I'm just going to call it, they are going to raise interest rates this week by at least 25 basis points. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm just going to call it. And people can point at me and laugh and say, You're, you were so wrong. Yeah, so what? But this is what I truly believe. I don't think he's going to let go. Because like I said yesterday, if he lets go and doesn't raise or God forbid decreases, which they will not do, there's only two options on the table here and one is bad. Well, bad for them. And that's to do nothing, no raise. Because it will signal that they're concerned that what they've done is irreparable. And that's going to send the kind of shockwaves through the market that nobody will expect. Bill Ackman or Ackerman, or whatever the hell his name is. Yeah, Ackman. Um, he, I don't, it's, it's strange. I'm not the billionaire. Clearly he's smarter than me, right? Or maybe he's just closer to the money spigot by birth. I don't know. But let's just assume that he's really, really much more smarter than me, and that's why I'm a pleb, and that's why he's flying around on private jets. Now, okay. He wants them to do nothing. If the Federal Reserve does not raise interest rates this week, they will signal to the world that they are weak. It doesn't matter if Bill Ackman is right that they should, because this is what they've done is freaking terrible. I mean, this the the he's not. I'm just. I'm not saying that he's wrong. I'm just saying that if he expects them to do this, then he's wrong. They're not going to do that. 
because if they do, it signals weakness from the Fed. The Fed right now is control is in control of what's left of the global financial legacy system minus China and possibly Russia, but even they would be affected by it. So he's the most powerful plant person on the planet and he's going to do what? After all this bullshit hawkish behavior, just say, you know what? No, yeah, doubtful, highly doubtful. And if he did, it's going to cause ripple effects through industries. It's, go it's not going to be good. People would think that that would be, oh, thank God. Now everything can get back to, you know, we can put everything back together. No, 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 and no. So their only choice is to raise by at least 25 basis points. Make it a good solid five, signal strength to the world that they're in control, that they know what they're doing, and we'll have even more bank burnout because all these banks are holding treasury bills and their holdings of the treasury bills are going to decrease yet one more time. So they'll have an even bigger hole in their balance sheet and more collapses will happen. I think that that's what they want. I think they want some consolidation. I think they don't, I think they want to clear out the brush fire that is like the smaller banks, because even if the, the smaller banks are solvent and they're, they're totally fine, does it really help them if they want to push something more centralized? No, it doesn't. Burn them out, burn them out, burn them out. That's why they're going to do 25 basis points to the upside. So let's see, I had something marked up here. Um, oh, this quote by Ackman. This is not an environment into which the Federal Reserve should be raising rates and adding additional pressure on the system as financial stability is the Fed's first responsibility. Where have you been over the last year and a half? Bill Ackman. The environment that we're in is caused directly by the Fed raising rates. It's not like this was happening external to what the Fed was doing. Like everything started burning down and the Fed is just sitting there twiddling its thumbs doing nothing. Oh, bullshit. No, they're the ones that were putting gas on the, on the dirty rags. They're the ones that were lighting the match and they're the ones that threw the son of a bitch on the pile of rags soaked in fucking diesel. All right. It, the, the, it just shows me that I don't think Bill really knows what the hell's going on. And that's an insane thing for a poor broke ass pleb like me to even pause it. But you know what? I'm throwing it out there just the same, just so that we can move on to this one. Yellen defends government intervention to avoid another Silicon Valley bank. Savannah Fortis, Cointelegraph, tell us more. Nearly two weeks after three, count them, one, two, three, United States banks collapsed. Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate Bank, and Signature Bank. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen the felon said the federal government is ready to take action if needed. Oh, thank God. According to a Bloomberg report of experts from a speech Yellen will give on Tuesday at the American Bankers Association in Washington, D.C., the Treasury Secretary said, quote, our intervention was necessary to protect the broader U.S. banking system and similar actions could be warranted if smaller institutions suffer deposit runs that pose the risk of contagion. So you're concerned of tiny things causing contagion. That means your shit is fragile, Yellen. And by the way, this isn't just the U.S. bank. She says the broader U.S. banking system. What she really meant to say was the entire world's legacy financial system because it's all interconnected. This isn't just about the United States. Why she's saying that that way, I don't know, but it's not true. It's much, much bigger than that. Yellen is set to defend recent measures 
taken by the government to defend the banks in the and the greater economic impact of the situation, calling the government actions decisive and forceful actions. Additionally, Yellen said the government intervention helped to maintain the important role of small and mid-sized lenders in the U.S. economy. Bullshit. Bullshit. You don't want them. Quote, the Treasury is committed to ensuring the ongoing health and competitiveness of our vibrant community and regional banking institutions. I'm surprised you didn't say ecosystem. U.S. regulators began swiftly working on a plan following the banking crisis during which Yellen initially said no bailout would be necessary. Instead, the regulators guaranteed insured and uninsured deposits at both SVB and Signature. The United States Federal Reserve also launched a new way to help lenders cover withdrawals. <laughs> a meeting has been announced by Congress, however, scheduled for March the 29th, which will delve into the failures of SVB and Signature Bank. U.S. President Joe Biden said he is firmly committed to holding whoever was responsible for the recent collapses accountable. Oh, Jesus Christ. Who did this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, but see, you're never going to see shit like this where somebody just breaks out laughing on CNBC because they get in trouble, right? <clears throat> That's why we're going to win. Biden also stated that shielding depositors involved with SVB and Signature will be at no cost to the taxpayer. The Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission have both reportedly opened inquiries into the incident. Meanwhile, economists have analyzed that over 186 banks in the U.S. are well positioned to collapse. I, I honestly don't trust economists, but on this one, I probably should. Just saying. Now, this whole sentence <clears throat> from Joe. Joe Biden said that he's firmly committed to holding whoever was responsible for the recent collapses accountable. Are you really? You're going to hold Jerome Powell accountable? You, what are you going to do? Put Jerome Powell in prison? They were, all this shit started when Silvergate basically blew the whistle on the Federal Reserve policy by saying we've got a gigantic hole in our balance sheets because interest rates went up and our assets went down because a lot of our assets were in fact treasuries. It's just that simple. There's nothing else to it. So who's responsible for raising interest rates? The Federal Reserve. Is Joe Biden going to hold them responsible? No, he's not. He has no idea what he's talking about. Whoever's responsible. That should scare the shit out of you. But bigger fish to fry coming up. The United States exploring ways to guarantee the country's $18 trillion of bank deposits. That's trillion with a T. Brian Quarmby with a Q from Cointelegraph tells us more. U.S. officials are reportedly studying ways to expand the current scope of deposit insurance that would guarantee all United States bank deposits should the current banking crisis worsen. The current deposit insurance cap under the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation stands at one quarter of a million dollars. However, following the collapse of several banks in March, there have been calls to increase that amount. Organizations such as the Mid-Size Bank Coalition of America called on March 18th for the cap to be lifted for the next two years, citing a need to protect depositors 
and to stop capital being pulled from smaller banks for supposedly safer-looking heavyweights. According to a March 21st Bloomberg report citing people with knowledge of the talks, Treasury Department staff members are currently discussing the possibility of the FDIC being able to expand the current deposit insurance beyond the max cap to cover all deposits, every single one of them. According to the FDIC, domestic U.S. bank deposits totaled $17.7 trillion as of December the 31st. The move would ultimately hinge on what level of emergency authority federal regulators have and if the insurance cap can be increased without formal consent from Congress. Bloomberg sources indicated, however, that the United States authorities don't deem such a drastic move necessary at the moment as recent steps taken by financial regulators are likely to be sufficient. You believe that? As such, they started or stated that a potential strategy is being whipped up just in case the current situation gets worse. It means it's going to get worse. In response to Silvergate, Signature Bank, and SVB going bust in recent weeks, the Federal Reserve rolled out the $25 billion bank term funding program on March the 13th as the government pushed to stem any further contagion. Meanwhile, in a March 20th press briefing, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Claude Van Damme was specifically asked <clears throat> if the federal government was supportive of a push from small and mid-sized banks to expend, expand FDIC insurance beyond the quarter-million-dollar cap. But Jean-Pierre was tight-lipped on the Biden administration's view, saying, on that, our goal is to ensure the financial system is stable and emphasizing that creating a fair playing field was the focus of Treasury and the bank regulators. Further quote, and as you saw, due to our actions this week at the direction of the president, Americans should be confident of their deposits. We'll be there when they, when they need them. And, and so again, that's what our focus is going to be. We don't have any new announcements at this time, but clearly we want to make sure that our financial system is stable. Oh my God, how many people are just reassuring us time and time again just how stable this all is when you're watching it being set on fire and engulfed in flames? I'm not sure I believe these people. But yet I'm told that I should believe these people. I'm told that I'm a tinfoil hatter because I don't believe these people. I'm a conspiracy theorist because I don't believe these people. Do you believe these people? If you don't, you're a tinfoil hatter and a conspiracy theorist and you listen to Alex Jones. I don't like him putting chemicals in the water, turning the frogs gay. I'm just saying this is all bullshit. And it's all falling down before our eyes. Sure, it's possible that they save the banking system to prosper yet another day. Honestly, it's going to fall no matter what. This week, next week, this year, next year, five years from now, this can't continue. It just, and there's the only transition we got is to Bitcoin and there's no smooth transition to Bitcoin, y'all. I, I wish there was. I wish I could lie through my teeth and tell you that, sure, as long as we've got good UX and, and enough education and all that, that it's going to be a smooth jump off point for the world's 8 billion people or however many of us are on this goddamn rock into a completely different monetary system going to be smooth as silk bullshit. 
bullshit. That's why I keep saying, get out of the cities. You don't want to be around a massive amount of people losing their minds because they literally have no idea what to do. And yet they still got to eat that night or haven't eaten in a week. You don't want to be anywhere close to that massive humanity when the hive mind is literally going insane. You don't want to have nothing to do with it. Now this, see if I can find this shit again. Oh, oh here's a tweet by Tim.com that they put in this article. I don't know why anybody listens to this guy. Uh, let's see if I can find it again. Hold on, hold on. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to find it again, but it's bad. I'll give you this idea that I had though. I said yesterday that it, it, it appears that, well, actually, no, it's, it's actually happening, that there's a lot of people, rich, uh, businesses, retail, you know, if you've got over $250,000 in a bank, you're scrambling to open up other bank accounts. That's happening. So, eh, that, if they are doing that, then that means that they they have to go to different banks. They got to spread this shit around. Yet we've got this thing where it's possible that you don't even have to worry about that. Just just keep it all in Wells Fargo. Keep it all in Bank of America. Keep it all over at Citibank. Well, wouldn't it, if they really want their small and mid-sized lenders to be viable and you know, formidable pieces of the United States banking legacy financial system. Would you want that wealth to be spread around to all these different deposits at different banks? Decentralize the whole thing? Or are they doing this because they don't want that money moving into regional and small and mid-sized lenders? They want to keep it at the big five. I think that that's what they're doing. This is a play that's beautiful for them when you think about it, because it totally makes people feel safe. They're going to have to print the money to do it, no matter what happens. They're, they're going to provide backstop liquidity to all this shit. And when the dust settles, that money printer is going to look like it got run, like road hard and put up wet, then thrown off a cliff and dynamited. There's going to pieces of, you know, printing drums are going to be strewn about and all the bodies of the people running the printing press are going to be in like... Pour up and, you know, hanging from trees and shit. Telling you, man, they want this to keep the money where it's at. They want this to keep the money where it's at. I guarantee you. All right, spank pay. Let's get, let's talk about something fun. (laughs) Although they're going under too. Spank pay adult industry crypto payment services shut down. Decrypt.co, Jason Nelson. The adult-themed SpankPay payment service announced on Monday that it would shut down after its upstream payment processor, Wire Payments, Wire with a, like, W-Y-R-E, payments, terminated its agreement with the company. Wire cited, quote, violations of any third-party payment processor or network rules, end quote. SpankPay asserted that it's, contract was singled out. Quote, this was a targeted shutdown by Wire because their new payment processor, Checkout.com, does not work with adult businesses, the company tweeted. This came as a shock, seeing as our relationship with Wire had been supportive and respectful up until this point. End quote. SpankChain, an adult industry blockchain, launched SpankPay in August of 2019 as a safe haven for our community. 
allowing fans to pay for adult content instantly and discreetly using Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Shitcoin 1, Shitcoin 2, and Shitcoin 3. The service later expanded to include more Shitcoin. Of course, of course. SpankPay has faced an uphill battle to find other service provider options to provide financial services to a business catering to the adult industry. Quote, we have been looking for options since we got the letter. We've looked for other payment processors and no one wants to take us. Or if they want to take us, their fees are insanely high, SpankPay advisor Ali Knox told Decrypt in an interview. Knox says that while it's no longer feasible to run SpankPay, the team will shift focus to its other products and more importantly, focus on changing legislative problems that cause this issue. Quote, we can build the tech, but it's still a political issue. It's not solving these social issues, these political issues that are still happening. So we're going to go to the root, Knox said. The push for this legislative change began in December as Knox joined SpankChain founder Amin Soleimani and a group of delegates from the Free Speech Coalition in Washington, D.C. to meet with Democrat and Republican lawmakers about the discrimination the industry faces. We're going to provide more education and teach sex workers how to use crypto. We haven't turned our backs on crypto at all. We just need this shit to get fixed. <laughs> at least they're honest about it. The adult industry has a long history of conflict with traditional financial systems, which forces many from individual content creators like Knox to entire platforms like Pornhub to turn to cryptocurrency. In December of 2020, the adult website Pornhub began accepting cryptocurrency after Visa and MasterCard blocked customers from using their credit cards to pay for its premium services. The decision came down after the Canada-based company was the focus of a scathing article by the New York Times that pointed out the presence of child pornography and sexual assault on the site. Pornhub has since made significant policy changes to clamp down on these videos. Quote, operating spank pay in a hostile banking environment has always been challenging, but the escalating attacks have become untenable for our small team and the niche market that we serve. End quote. In a tweet thread announcing the closure, SpankPay said that it was working on getting users' money to them as soon as possible and encouraged users to create crypto wallets and explore personal financial sovereignty. Oh shit, that's an actual quote. <clears throat> Further quote, with SpankPay being discriminated against due to the nature of our business, we're as motivated as ever to end these extra legal censorship practices enforced by financial institutions. Thank you for being part of our community. The fight goes on. So does the hard on, apparently. I don't know. Who knows? <clears throat> I use BTC pay server. <laughs> How? I mean, you're, it's, it's like these guys cannot at all think of any other way than to use a bank. And it's so sad when the answers have been here for years. Does it take personal responsibility to sit down and start reading and learning and practicing the new craft of being personally self-sovereign sovereign when it comes to financial independence? Yes. Oh my God, how dare somebody actually have to sit down and do real fucking work? And that's how they got us in the first place is making us all lazy. Where lazy is the norm in any kind of Actual functional work is to be frowned upon as blue collar or something like that. This is entirely too much bullshit for me to handle. You know what? I'm going to run the numbers.
CN, a bit, a bit, a bit, a BC, CN, BC, futures and commodities. It got West Texas Intermediate, yahoo, yahoo, at 2.75% of the upside. I guess they're awaiting Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's words to fall out of his mouth like everybody else is. $69.50 per barrel. Brent North Sea up almost two points, $75.16 a barrel. Natural gas, it just, I don't get this, but 4.14% to the upside swing, $2.31 per thousand cubic feet. Uh, gasoline is actually down almost a quarter, $2.53 a gallon. We got gold losing a full 2% down to $1,941.60. Silver is down almost a full point. Platinum is down just over two points. Copper's the only winner today at 1.2% to the upside. Palladium, likewise, down 0.9%. And we've got agricultural stuff, and it looks like it's mixed. Biggest loser today, 2.89% to the downside for wheat. Wonder Bread gonna be hurting. Next up is soybeans, down 1.3%. Biggest winner, what's that going to be? It's going to be sugar. Oh, yeah, as if your diabetes didn't need a lift. 1.56% to the upside for sugar. Maybe they'll stop putting it in our food, but I highly doubt it. Now we got the Dow. Ooh, everybody's happy on the equities. 0.62% to the upside. S&P up almost a full point. NASDAQ up just over a point. And the S&P mini Knocking it out of the park, 1.5% to the upside. Real money at Uh, $28,122.06. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, uh, sorry. Missed the number. Uh, 531,947 BTC sent around the world in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 1.63 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.012 BTC, or about 325 bucks. Block times are slightly high, 10 minutes and 13 seconds. He got 0.2 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 28.3 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with a one and a third percent drop in hash rate. We're still at 322.79 exa hashes per second. Oh my God. Uh, Doge, your shitcoin indicator, also pretty much not really recovering very much. 7.5 United States pennies. Uh, yeah, the ETH BTC pair. You know, you tried, <laughs> you tried to keep it, uh, but it's losing too. I'm not even going to get into that shit because Dogecoin is all you need to know for all the shitcoins in the world. Now we have a $544.7 billion market capitalization. You can now get 14.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,323,780.71 of, and 5,415.14 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $152.7 million, whatever the hell that means, being run over 16,330 nodes that we know about, sporting 75,347 public payment channels. 67.1% of all of it is running over Tor's associated 11,596 nodes, and oh my God, there are 23,500 transactions waiting on... 67 blocks to clear, which I call bullshit for, you know, Clark Moody. I don't know what's going on here because it's probably more like 140 blocks. You want, you know what? Ah, 
Let's find out. Mem pool dot space. Let's get it going on. 172 blocks deep is where we're at, guys. Actually, 172, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 178 blocks upcoming as far as mempool.space. That's mempool.space is concerned. So I don't know where Clark Moody's getting his stuff from, but my God almighty, that's a lot of blocks. Probably ordinals. Who knows? I don't worry about it. I honestly don't. You know, it's like I said, I, we lived through the 2017, 2016 block war, you know, block size war bullshit that resulted in BCH and BSV coming to life and everybody being wrong about Bitcoin. And I'm just not, you know, I just don't have any energy left over to do all that shit again. They do what y'all want now. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, we're done. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Holding Bitcoin, a profitable affair, 88.5% of the days. Arjit Sarkar, Cointelegraph, starts us out with this one. Of the 4,593 days of Bitcoin's existence as a tradable asset, BTC hodlers experienced 4,065 profitable days, challenging the historical narrative of depreciating volatility in crypto. As a result, holding Bitcoin is provably profitable in the long run. Bitcoin's historical price performance confirms that a hard limit <clears throat> on total supply and seamless global usability is critical. To becoming a store of value data from blockchain.com shows that Bitcoiners enjoyed 88.5% of profitable days relative to the current market price at the time of writing. As shown above, just 531 or days or 11.56% of the 4,593 days were unprofitable for long-term hodlers. The, the unprofitable days are between December the 28th, 2022 and June the 12th, 2022, a time when Bitcoin was priced above the $26,000 and $28,000 ranges. The revelation highlights the importance of understanding Bitcoin's market cycles and why investors should avoid, avoid buying the tops and selling the dips. However, some traders prefer making daily trades on crypto exchanges for much smaller but consistent profits. Yeah, good luck on that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. In a recent publication, Cointelegraph detailed the different types of crypto investors and categorized them based on their investment mindset. As mentioned, there are four categories of mindsets of crypto bag holders. There are maximalists, there's hodlers, there's FOMOers, and traders. Read more to find out which one you are. No, I'm not taking a personality test from freaking Cointelegraph. Screw that. In the Bitcoin ATM ecosystem, manufactured General Bytes closed down its cloud services after discovering a security vulnerability. Why is this here? That allowed an attacker to access users' hot wallets and gain sensitive information. We've concluded multiple security audits since 2021 and none of them identified the vulnerability. General Bytes founder, Carol whatever concluded as he made the announcement. Why is this in here? What the hell does general bytes and the fact that they're collapsing and their B their Bitcoin ATM ecosystem is all jacked with holding Bitcoin a profitable affair 88.5% of the days. 
editors, people. Editors. I can't say it enough. Editing is important for the love of God. Now we're going to try this again with Cointelegraph. State governor and United States presidential hopeful calls for a CBDC ban in Florida. Turn her, turn her right, Cointelegraph. Let's <laughs> see what Ron's doing. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, expected by many to throw his hat into the ring for the 2024 United States presidential race, has called for a ban on a digital dollar in the state. Standing in front of a podium, bearing the line Big Brother's digital dollar, at a March 20th press conference, DeSantis spoke out against the Federal Reserve issuing and controlling a central bank digital currency, or CBDC, in the United States, claiming the initiative would grant more power to the government. He cited concerns over inflation in the country, the Fed increasing interest rates and pressure on banks as examples of government policies directly affecting United States customers. Quote, a CBDC provides the government with a direct view of all consumer activities, claimed the Florida governor. Quote, any way they can get into society to exercise their agenda, they will do it. So what the central bank digital currency is all about is surveilling Americans and controlling the behavior of Americans, end quote. DeSantis called on Florida lawmakers to introduce legislation aimed at prohibiting modifications to the state's uniform commercial code to encourage the adoption of a digital dollar, as well as recognizing any foreign-issued CBDC. He asked like-minded United States, uh, the, what, what, what? Hold on. He asked, quote, like-minded, end quote, United States states to propose similar restrictions on allowing CBDCs through uniform commercial codes, adding that Texas was considering such legislation, and you should. The Florida governor largely dismissed arguments in favor of the Fed issuing a digital dollar, environmental concerns, and reaching the underbanked without citing any evidence whatsoever. He pointed to China's rollout of its digital yuan in an attempt to monitor citizens' behavior, allowing for the surveillance of spending habits and to cut off access to goods and services, as well as how the governments of the Bahamas and Nigeria have handled their CBDCs. Quote, you're opening up a major can of worms and you're handing a central bank huge, huge amounts of power, end quote. Other conservative lawmakers in the United States have voiced similar concerns as DeSantis in trying to tamp down efforts by the Fed to release a CBDC. In February, Minnesota Representative Tom Emmer introduced the CBDC Anti-Surveillance State Act claiming the bill would protect Americans' rights to financial privacy, by limiting the Fed's authority over a digital dollar. The city of Miami, in addition to hosting the Bitcoin conference, is home to many crypto and blockchain proponents, including Morgan Creek Digital co-founder Anthony Pomp Pompliano and Mayor Francis Suarez, who accepted some of his paychecks in Bitcoin. DeSantis said he aimed to have the CBDC legislation on his desk for approval sometime this year in 2023. I don't know if I trust Ron. I trust. I think I trust Tom Emmer more than I trust Ron DeSantis. And it's not because of Republican versus Democrat or anything, any bullshit like that. At this point, I'm on the side of the people. I mean, if it's like, if I don't care who it comes from, if it gets into my business, I don't want it there. I don't care if a Republican does it, a Libertarian Party does it, or Green Party does it, or Democrats. I, I 
or or independent or completely independence. I don't care. If you want to see what I'm doing, fuck off. It's none of your business. If I'm doing something illegal, you have an entire investigative branch of the federal, state, and municipal governments that cover that with their what? Police forces. That's why we have them. They have investigators and detectives and research analysts. They have an entire swath of shit. Make them work. You don't need to know what I'm doing. So from that standpoint, if that's if if Ron really believes that he wants to put this in play because he really does give a shit about me, then I'm all for it. I'm not sure if I believe he gives a shit about me. Why? Because he wants to be president of the United States, and I don't trust any of those guys. I hope you don't either. Uh, let's see. Do we want to do this one? Where are we at? We're at an hour. Eh, I'm not going to do that one. I'm going to skip that one. Not gonna, well, you know what? Yeah, we I talked a little bit about the Ethereum BTC pair. We might as well go ahead and expand that out just a little bit with this piece. Uh, CryptoSlate.com research. Why the Ethereum Bitcoin ratio will continue to fall. Hmm. Who's writing it? Samuel Wan and James Van Straten. Okay. I hope I pronounced his name right. Much has been said about Ethereum flipping Bitcoin in the past particularly doing, during the 2017 bull cycle when the ETH BTC ratio peaked at 0.157. So one Ethereum was worth 0.15% of a Bitcoin. Okay. And that was way back in what? 20, 2017 bull cycle. Okay. However, fast forward to now, spurred on by the ongoing banking crisis narrative, Glassnode data analyzed by CryptoSlate suggest a period of Ethereum underperformance ahead, putting paid to the idea of a flippening. That didn't make any sense, but whatever. Market cap is the most popular way to value and compare cryptocurrencies. It is calculated by multiplying the current price by the circulating supply. A variation of the market cap method is realized cap, which substitutes the current price in the above calculation with the price when the coins last move. Proponents argue that this gives a much more accurate valuation due to minimizing the effects of lost and irretrievable coin. The chart below, which I will not describe, documents the Bitcoin and Ethereum market and realized caps since 2016. It shows a tightening between Bitcoin and Ethereum or Ether in June of 2017, especially when viewing the realized cap lines. Around April 2019, the two began to diverge. But by May of 2021, a further narrowing of the two bands occurred. However, Ethereum's realized cap has started to dip in recent weeks, with Bitcoin's holding relatively steady. The chart also plots BTC slash ETH dominus, or it's the Bitcoin ETH pair, calculated by taking the BTC market cap and dividing it by uh, the bit. Okay, here it's, they threw in a calculation here. I'll try to read it. The chart also plots the BTC ETH pair dominance calculated by taking the BTC market cap and dividing by the BTC market cap plus the ETH market cap minus 0 0.765. <laughs> I hate these. <laughs> the 0 0.765 figure visualizes the oscillation around a long-term mean value. It shows the market is beginning to leave a two-year-long period of ETH dominance. 
Yeah, dominance, right. Based on the current situation, markets are bracing for higher rates and banks continuing to tighten credit availability, a scenario generally favorable to risk off assets. Ethereum is considered a more risk on higher beta than Bitcoin, (laughs) suggesting it will underperform versus the leading cryptocurrency going into a risk off environment. Analysis of Ethereum fundamentals also suggest underperformance going forward. A general indicator of ecosystem health is a high rising spot to futures ratio. This indicates an ecosystem where holders dominate traders whose intention is profit rather than belief in an ecosystem. Data from the block on ETH spot to futures volume shows a macro downtrend since April of 2020. The downtrend accelerated around May of 2022, which is right when Terra Luna imploded and has since fallen to an all-time low. The percentage change in total ETH addresses has decreased over the past five years. Let me read that again. The percentage change in total ETH addresses has decreased over the last five years, dipping below BTC last month. Likewise, the percentage change in the total LTC addresses began pulling away from ETH. He's talking about Litecoin around June, 2021, remaining consistently higher ever since, particularly moving into the market top around November of 2021. On-chain data shows that stablecoin and NFT transactions make up the most significant gas usage on ETH, with the former spiking around December, 2022. The latter has remained consistently relatively flat since April of 2021. In June of 2022, stablecoin and NFT transactions comprised nearly half of ETH's gas usage. Now the percentage is about 35%, indicating a general downturn in these applications on the Ethereum chain. This can be explained by the rising popularity of, guess what? Ordinals on BTC, which has somewhat lessened ETH's NFT demand. Similarly, stablecoins on exchanges have sunk to a 17-month low, suggesting a general decrease in their importance to crypto, likely due to ongoing narratives around their safety and redeemability. Dude, they're drooling apes. Who gives a shit? Oh, well, whatever. The merge narrative. We're talking about the, the Ethereum merge. The merge. The merge narrative led to bullish price drivers in the switch to proof of stake and deflationary tokenomics. However, more than six months on, ETH continues to lose against Bitcoin. Several reasons could be behind this. Since the tornado cash sanctions, Ethereum's reputation as an uncensorable, decentralized change has taken a significant hit. More than half of the blocks are still Office of Foreign Asset Control or OFAC compliant meaning more than half of the network will exclude transactions at the behest of United States authorities. Pausing to remind you that the United States authorities can force an individual from another country, their transaction to be refused. OFAC can tell Ethereum to refuse a Lithuanian citizen access to ETH transactional functionality. Okay, it's not just U.S. citizenry. It's whoever the fuck we can bomb and whoever the hell is scared that we're going to bomb them. They're going to comply with FOMAC. There's your ETH. 
have fun staying poor. Also, while devs were transparent in stating that the merge would not lower fees directly, there remains an ongoing unresolved issue with costly transactions. The chart below shows transaction fees shot up to approximately five, what? Five kilo ETH, I guess that's on the seven day moving average. Uh, the ETH BTC ratio is currently at 0.0635, less than half of that during the 2017 peak. Since the banking crisis, a notable drop off in the ratio occurred, suggesting the market overwhelmingly favors Bitcoin in these uncertain times. So there you go. There's your ETH. If you're still holding on to ETH, I was telling you last year and the year before to dump it, to get rid of it. Same goes for today. The, the first, the, the best time to get rid of your ETH was the day after, the day you bought it. The second after you bought it, you should have said, you know what, this is bullshit and got your Bitcoin back for it because in the early days after when it was just released, that's how you got your Ethereum. You had to give them Bitcoin because there was no Ethereum or Ether or whatever on exchanges. That didn't happen until later. Nobody on the day that Ether and Ethereum launched was able to purchase a single one of their bullshit tokens with a United States dollar, a credit card transaction, a lira, whatever. Pick your currency because there was no on-ramp except for Bitcoin. Bitcoin's mere existence allowed this asshole from which all shit coinery flows to be born. I'm sure Bitcoin had no idea that it did this, but it, but it did. It allowed this shit to occur. And now we're having, we've been having to deal with the fallout ever since it's that turd was laid on the ground in 2015 or whatever, or 2014. I can't remember when that thing came to, came to life, but it's a monstrosity and it needs to die. And if you're still holding it, help it die. Get your, get whatever BTC back that you can for it. Or shit, I don't know, spend it into US dollars and, you know, take your loved one out for a, a meal. Maybe you can bite a burger with it after a while. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. We need a joke and dad says jokes has got a joke for us. And it's a dad joke as dad says jokes you might imagine would have. Whatever. I invented a car that moves only when the driver is silent. It goes without saying. All right. Big reminder. Uh, at the front of the show, I talked about obsidian.md. Your ideas are worth something. I don't even have to know who you are. If you're listening to this show, you're probably a human. Unless you're using the sound of my voice to drive a kennel full of dogs crazy all night long, in which case, shame on you. Why would you do such a thing? I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, that you're a human being. If you're a human being, then you have ideas. If you have ideas, you owe it to yourself and to me to get those ideas out there. There are so many tools that people have used to, to do that. But in the, the way that we've been living, especially in the West, and the, the dumbed downness and the clown shows and the circus tents and the dumpster fires and all the bullshit I think we've been really distracted from the importance of getting an idea that you have at least out of your head. You know, 
it doesn't work like this. I have an idea for a business. I'm going to not write any of this shit down and go straight up to a guy that's got money or possibly a banker to give me a loan and download it from my brain directly to this guy so that I'm going to get the money to start my business. It does not work that way. And it doesn't have to be about a business. Let's say that you've got in your mind a picture of how you want your garden to grow. You've got to get it out of your head so that you can look at it. People have this wrong idea that they can just sit there and ruminate on an idea in their head and never put it anywhere outside of their head and come up with something that's cohesive. No, you can't. The human brain does not work that way. Am I a cognitive scientist? No, I don't care. I'm a human being and I know how I think. And chances are good, since I'm human, that other humans have the same problem. We can't objectively see what the idea is. We think we can, but until you pull it out of your head using a tool like Trillium, but in my case, I'm shilling obsidian.md, you'll never actually see the potential of that idea. And your idea, believe it or not, has potential. It really does, guys. I'm not saying this because they're not pay Obsidian's not paying me to tell you about their product. I found this product. I think it's of one of the highest valuable products I've ever seen. Actually, I don't think that. I know it for me. I look at this thing. I I jump on it every single. I ha, I don't even close it down anymore because it's got a really lightweight footprint, which I also like about it. See what I'm saying? It's lightweight. It does a lot of shit. It looks nice. It's customizable. It's free. And you can support the developers like any, you know, free open source software. However, I don't think this is free open source. I'm not sure. I'm, there may, I get, maybe I should go look for a GitHub for Obsidian and see if the actual code is, is raw and compilable, which make, would make it free and open source, right? So and I'm just saying. You owe yourself a favor to go do this. Now, I did not read Boostagrams yesterday. I got to do it today. I don't think that it's, I just don't think that it's very fair to not read Boostagrams. So from Bubba out of episode, yesterday's episode 686 says, absolutely, this is crony capitalism, which it has been almost since the beginning. Atlas Shrugged spelled it out in 1957. It has almost run its course. Quote, we are the priest of the temple of the syrinx. That's, that's a rush quote. <laughs> Neil Parrott and Rush Rocket. You know that I know that you know that we know. <laughs> Some just doubt, uh, don't believe that it's happening. He's right. And that was for 21,012 sats. The Supreme Rush Boost. Thank you, Bubba. Dude. Coin last with 10,001 Satoshi says, happy 686th. Yeah, thanks, Coin Laughs. I'm glad that I've been around to do that for you. Nick underscore dose, 3,369 Satoshi says, welcome back. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, Mr. Man, shit ton of numbers. <laughs> I love you. Uh, 1,000 Satoshi says, I missed you. I missed you too, man. Blizza, 420. A 420 says, boosted. And Joseph Joey Joe. 210 sat says GBTC can eat a great big fat dick. The fool got played on Peter's show. What a fucking piece of shit. 
I hope it burns to the ground. Fucking nuke it. <laughs> we don't need these scammers to survive another cycle. Sorry, not sorry, GBDC bag holders. Uh, you should hold your own keys and run the software that you verified. Absolutely, absolutely. Now let's get back into, let's, let's see if anybody uh, uh, said anything on the show. Holy smokes, I might have to delay that one. Uh, let's Let's go for the first, let's go for the first, five or so there's a lot of boosted grams off the show 685 dale jr 20,000 sat says here's for the episode with jack the explanation helps a lot good i'm glad i didn't screw that up dale jr with yet another 20,000 sat says thanks again i'm glad that you liked it twice that's very much appreciated fat toshi with 11,111 sat says hope you are well mr b missing your take cheers i'm glad i could come back pitar with a row of, oh, no, it's the Striper Boost. SEC looking silly in court makes me happy. Fatoshi with a Striper Boost as well says, pump it up. Uh, I'll get I'll get to get to the other ones uh, tomorrow. If I, Hopefully I'll be able to come to you tomorrow. A word on the fact that every once in a while I disappear. Can't be helped. It's not a good practice. I understand that. I appreciate your patience. Believe me, because every time I step away and I do this, I just wish that, you know, if I had endless piles of cash, you know, to buy the the kind of, of road gear that I would need to buy, I would literally be doing this show in the hotel bathroom. I'd tell the, I'd tell the wife and kids, I'm like, go, I don't know, go downstairs, go to the cafe, do something for an hour and a half and let me do this and I would literally bring this shit to you on vacation because honestly, this is all I wanna do. I just, all I wanna do. It, nothing else makes sense to me anymore. I'm damn, I think I'm, I think I'm unemployable. So I need to work for y'all. I think I'm the only, I think y'all are the only bosses that I can work for anymore. I'm pretty much toast doing anything else where anything outside of bringing you the Bitcoin news as far as I can on a daily basis is the only thing that makes sense anymore. I appreciate every ear that is out there that is bent in my direction. I appreciate every single one of you that do boostograms, every single one of you that streams sats, every single one of you that comes back when I'm gone for over a week. Can't tell you what that means to me. See you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.